Genital herpes simplex virus or HSV infections are a major public health problem. A dramatic upsurge in genital HSV infections have been documented from seroprevalence studies. And to understand this public health concern, today we'll be discussing why typing of genital herpes infections is important and how it informs patient counseling. So coming to you live from the Women's Health Annual Visit in Dearborn, Michigan, this is ReachMD and I'm your Senior Executive Producer, Ana Maria Rosario, and with me today is Dr. David Gandell, Clinical Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of Rochester and attending at Strong Memorial Hospital in Rochester, New York. So Dr. Gandell, welcome back to ReachMD. Thank you for being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So let's start off with the first the scope of the disease, um, and then we'll talk about the, uh, the diagnosis and treatment. First, what are the differences between HSV-1 and HSV-2, and why is it important to differentiate them in practice? So genital herpes is a, an unfortunately very common event, and although the vast majority of them are caused by herpes simplex 2, which has a predilection for the genital region, Oral herpes or herpes 1 can also affect the genitals. Now, both are very common in the population. Uh, probably 60% of all adults over the age of 12 had, have had type 1 herpes or oral herpes. They usually get it in childhood, uh, generally not a big deal. Uh, and then, of course, uh, they are immune from getting it in their genitals because they have circulating antibodies uh, from when they were younger that protect them in that location. Uh, herpes simplex 2 is essentially always sexually transmitted, uh, is in the genital region, and on various seroprevalence studies where populations are screened, about one in six people show positivity for herpes simplex 2. So both are common in the population, uh, although herpes 1 in an oral location is the most common. How common are each of the infections? So as I mentioned, about one in six adults have had genital herpes from herpes simplex 2. Uh, that said, about a third of all new cases of genital herpes are actually herpes simplex 1, uh, which is transmitted through oral sex to a recipient who has never had it orally and therefore didn't have the circulating antibodies. So even though uh, in general herpes 2 will uh, be the primary cause of uh, recurrent herpes, uh, herpes 1 is significant in that it can uh, cause genital herpes as well. So, Dr. Gendel, how do the infections differ? Well, if we're talking about genital herpes from type 1 or type 2, uh, the symptoms are actually absolutely the same. Uh, they can be uh, ranging from minimal symptoms to very painful and extensive and uh, uh, very uncomfortable ulcerations. Uh, and on first episodes, they uh, can be associated with systemic symptoms, uh, fever, chills, malaise, um, basically because the, you're having a viremia at the time. And that can occur with both one and two. Uh, where they differ in terms of uh, what happens is in terms of recurrences. Do they have different implications when they cause genital infections? Yeah, so actually that's what's particularly important and, and does uh, affect the kind of counseling we give people because uh, even though type 1 herpes when it occurs in the genitals is in fact genital herpes, uh, many patients can be very much reassured that they've actually had oral herpes down there. They don't take it in the same way and in fact it doesn't have the same implications because uh, oral herpes, although it can cause just as uncomfortable an initial infection, it almost never recurs. 
type 2 herpes in the genital tends to recur quite frequently, but type 1 herpes, and I've referred to it as oral herpes, but it's really when it's in the genital, it's genital herpes. Uh, type 1 herpes can be quite painful in the first episode, but almost never recurs. You're listening to ReachMD, and I'm your host, Ana Maria Rosario, and I'm speaking with Dr. David Gendel from Strong Memorial Hospital in Rochester, New York, and we're discussing about the typing of genital herpes infections. So let's move on a little bit to the diagnosis and treatment. Diagnostically, how does one differentiate the type of HSV when assessing a genital infection? Because the counseling of the patient is truly affected by the typing, as well as Uh, letting them know whether they're at risk of recurrences, whether we're going to uh, provide them suppressive therapy, uh, all that is influenced by whether they're type 1 or type 2. So when you see an acute infection, you want to culture and then say, if positive, please subtype. Uh, If you do a PCR as an examination, and many people have moved to that, then it will be automatically subtyped. Now, at the same time as doing a culture or a PCR, it's helpful to do serologies uh, for both type 1 and type 2 type-specific antibodies. The reason that that's helpful is that then that will influence how you counsel a patient as to whether her episode of herpes is her first episode or primary or a recurrent episode. Uh, If she has existing antibodies uh, against type 1 and she now has a lesion for type 1, that was a recurrence. If she has existing antibodies for type 2 and her culture comes back positive for type 2, that was a recurrence. But if she has negative antibodies and either type 1 or type 2 are positive from the lesion, that then tells you that this is a primary episode. And many patients want to know, did I have this before? Who did I get it from? How did I get it? And that's where the uh, typing is quite helpful. That said, if you're doing an STD screen on someone and you're doing serologies for herpes, you only want to draw a type 2 type-specific serology because a positive type 1 serology doesn't tell you that they've had genital herpes. More likely, it's just identifying a, uh, an HSV infection that was oral from some time in their past. Are they treated the same? And when, you're, when we're talking about treatment, obviously we're counseling, counseling the patients as well. So how does that influence how you counsel the patients? Yeah, so they are treated the same. Both of them respond to the same regimens of of, uh, antiviral medications. The 2015 CDC STD guidelines have a very nice summary. Uh, It's available as a free download, uh, or if you go to the CDC site, um, it's also available as an app. Um, And the regimens for primary and for recurrences are exactly the same. That said, because herpes simplex 2 can recur quite often, those are patients that are really candidates to receive prophylactic medication, a daily dose of an antiviral to prevent uh, not only getting recurrences, but also it can help prevent what's called asymptomatic shedding and transmission to a sexual partner. Type 1 herpes, because it tends not to shed, tends not to recur, uh, generally does not require ongoing suppression once you've treated the acute episode. So are they both infectious to other partners? And if so, how do you approach this issue with with your patients? All right, so both type 1 and type 2 are infectious, uh, but type 2 is the primary one that can be spread uh, through intercourse to an uninfected sexual partner, which is where suppression of the person who has type 2 herpes can be helpful in reducing that. Type 1 herpes in the genitals almost never is transmitted to another sexual partner and therefore has very different implications in terms of uh, how a person might uh, uh, approach it or even in terms of how they 
disclose it and discuss it to their sexual partners. So does HSV-1 and HSV-2 have different implications in pregnancy? So the biggest risk is acquiring either type 1 herpes or type 2 herpes at the end of pregnancy. The most effective way of preventing transmission to babies would be to screen all pregnant women for type 1 or type 2 and screen their partners. If their partner was positive for type 1 or for type 2, then uh, prohibiting either uh, oral sex or genital sex at the end of a pregnancy. Uh, one of the things is, is that many couples, because of the logistics of intercourse at the end of a pregnancy, are uh, not likely to have genital sex at the end of pregnancy, but may substitute oral sex. And if the male uh, partner is shedding herpes simplex 1 from his lip with no symptoms, and the woman then gets it in her genital tract at the end of a pregnancy, uh, that can have devastating effects. So as we're wrapping up, Dr. Gendel, any final thoughts of... Uh what you would like to share with our audience today about typing and treating patients and diagnosis. So when we make a diagnosis of genital herpes, it has a lot of emotional implications for patients. They really want to understand it more. They want to understand what their risk is of having recurrences, of passing it to another partner, uh, risk with pregnancy. And all of that counseling is informed by whether it's type 1 or type 2 herpes in the genital region. Type 1 has far fewer implications, uh, much easier for patients to handle and process. That doesn't mean we can't help patients understand and process when they have a diagnosis of type 2, but then we need to know that that's what they have. So it's really for the sake of our patients that it, we need to make this clarification for them. Perfect. Well, Dr. Gendel, many thanks for coming back to ReachMD. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here today. All right, and this is your host, Ana Maria Rosario from ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.